From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Sadiq Khan's ready for an evidence-based conversation on legalising cannabis, and we're happy to have it. His call echoes exactly what we called for in July when I set about visiting parts of the world that have now legalised cannabis. Our investigations editor David Cohen speaks to the leader about his own international reporting that's convinced London's mayor there's an argument to be heard. Also... They could uh, consider scaling back the investigation so that uh, suspected terrorists and people of interest are still kept under some form of uh, investigation. Court correspondent Tristan Kirk on the lessons the coroner says should be learned from the London Bridge terror attack. And... Africa are a good side. They're quite functional, they're heavy, they're big and they, they're bruising, but they beat Wales in the semi-final without showing any of the sort of form that England did. We're in Japan with our correspondent Will McPherson for England v South Africa in the Rugby World Cup final. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Sadiq Khan's U-turn on talking about cannabis legislation. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Last summer, the Evening Standard sent investigations editor David Cohen to countries where cannabis has been legalised. At the time, Sadiq Khan said he wasn't persuaded by calls for liberalisation of the law. He's changed his mind and our editorial column is ready to talk. Sadiq Khan's call for an evidence-based conversation about whether cannabis use should become lawful adds weight to the argument that it is time for, at the very least, a public debate. The mayor's stance now mirrors that of this paper. The arguments in favour of legalising the provision of cannabis via licensed outlets and decriminalising its consumption include the ability to control the strength of the cannabis and the prospect of generating significant tax revenues. But the reason further detailed consideration is needed is that the evidence remains mixed from places overseas, such as Canada. About half of cannabis consumed there is still bought via the black market, as users seek cheaper, stronger or more conveniently available supplies. Well, David Cohen's out of the newsroom working on his next story, but he joins me now. And David, the Mayor of London seems to have changed his mind on cannabis after your reporting. 
Yes, very much welcome, uh, Sadiq. U turn on this and his rethink on cannabis. I think it's quite brave for politicians these days because they do risk being criticised in some elements of the press. But his call for an evidence based conversation echoes exactly what we called for in July when um, I set about visiting parts of the world that have now legalised cannabis uh, for adult rec recreational use and uh, to look at what the impact of that had been. When you went overseas, David, where did you go and, and what kind of things did you find? Well, I went um, to Colorado, which was the first uh, state in the US uh, to legalise around about um, 2012 or so. And then I went to California and then also to Canada, which is the first Western country to legalise and did so in October last year. And when you go to places like Colorado, you see the economic boom of this uh, firsthand. So Colorado, uh, Denver is particularly booming now uh, because of the, uh, the cannabis economy. When you say booming there, David, what kind of difference is that? Is that sort of cannabis cafes? Is it that kind of thing? Yeah, so you've got, um, it's, it's strictly regulated. I mean, this is you cannot just walk into shops, you have to show ID. And these cannabis uh, retailers with bud tenders instead of bartenders, they many of them are like Apple stores for cannabis. They're beautifully laid out and um, there's no consumption on site in, in, in Colorado. That's not allowed, although it is allowed in some other states in, in parts of California. So the the economic impact is felt in the fact that house prices have gone up employment has gone up there is a whole economy around cannabis so there's there's the retailers but i also went to various grow facilities and then there is all the paraphernalia around vaping cannabis which is a whole other argument in fact that it's safer to do it that way because you're not then dealing with the the impact of smoking, effectively tobacco, and, and the impact that that has on lungs. So I think one thing people are quite concerned about is the kind of the CD side of cannabis, but that's not what you've seen in those areas uh, where you've been to. It's kind of cleaned up its act, I suppose. I guess it has to in order to, uh, to operate as a business. Well, this is very interesting. So this brings us on to the, the criminal justice side. We stopped criminalizing youths for, for, for selling or possessing cannabis, uh, which quite often introduces them very young into the criminal justice system. And also, this is a point picked up by Sadiq Khan, the link between dealing drugs and violent crime. So if we take that away from uh, drug gangs, if we make it legal, then we break that link, and that's a, an, another positive. Interestingly, in some parts of America, in Oakland, California, they're trying to help former drug dealers enter the trade. And this is more difficult than it seems, but is really worthwhile because these are people who, in many cases, have had civil rights trampled upon and these are whole communities that have been negatively affected by cannabis laws. But in many cases, they are very knowledgeable about how to grow cannabis. So I, when I went to a grow facility um, in Toronto, for example, 
I met the chief grower had been somebody who had formerly grown cannabis in his bedroom and knew a lot about it. So there were some um, very interesting um, spin-offs there. There has already been some changes to allow people to use medicinal cannabis. Is is there a case for, for making things go further than that? So the, the health argument is the one that is the most nuanced. Um, on the positive side, the positive for, for legalising is that you can regulate the strength. Even drug dealers who I spoke to in London said if you legalise, you should not legalise what they call skunk. Skunk is the cannabis with, with very high THC content and THC is, of course, the intoxicating ingredient that makes you high. Now, in some countries, like Uruguay, they have limited THC to 9%. In Canada, they haven't limited THC, and nor in America. And in fact, legalization has led to them producing higher and higher THC content cannabis. Now, that is worrying. Um, but on the other side, and this is the key factor, looking at what has happened to underage use. And the evidence so far is that underage use has not increased in America or in Canada, as, and it has gone down slightly. Some people would say that it is too early to tell and that we need to wait a little bit longer. And this is where the call for an evidence-based conversation is very apt. Next. Eight people were killed and 48 wounded in the London Bridge terror attack of 2017. Now a coroner's report is making recommendations on how to stop it happening again. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Before the London Bridge attack, in which eight people died, the ringleader Coulomb Butt had accessed a vast amount of extremist material. Security services knew about it, but Butt didn't face prosecution. In his report into the 2017 atrocity, the coroner Mark Lucraft, you see, refuses to criticise the investigation, but he wants the Home Secretary to consider a new law banning terrorist propaganda. Here's what the standard thinks. Today's report by the coroner makes a number of recommendations. They include a call for legislation to outlaw the possession of the most serious material glorifying or encouraging terrorism, a move the coroner believes would help disrupt future plotters, as well as practical measures such as the provision of battlefield medical training for police and more robust ways for the security agencies to review the threat posed by terror suspects. Police and MI5 generally do a fine job in keeping us safe, but lessons can always be learned and the coroner's ideas should be studied closely. 
Our court's correspondent, Tristan Cag, has been looking at the coroner's report. Tristan, one of the things that stood out for me was this issue about terrorist propaganda and his recommendation that it should be banned. I was quite surprised that it's available anyway. Yes, the coroner identified uh, something of a loophole in the legislation at the moment where um, certain materials that uh, terrorists or suspected terrorists might be caught with are obviously banned, those that are used in the preparation of terrorist acts. But what's actually not prohibited under the legislation at the moment is uh, material that glorifies or uh, promotes um, terrorist behaviour or martyrdom. And that's something that he identified in the inquest into the London Bridge attacks and uh, made a recommendation that perhaps the Home Secretary should consider legislation to, to outlaw it. There were some suggestions for MI5 also in, in terms of monitoring and, and looking out for people who might be uh, considering terrorist acts. Yes, absolutely. It's important to say at the outset that the uh, the coroner found that um, MI5 and the security services had done a, uh, a thorough and rigorous investigation into uh, the ringleader of the plot, Kuran Butt, in the lead-up to to the attack, but he did identify some areas of their practice that they could perhaps work on. One of the areas that he suggested was that they have a a lot of uh, suspects under investigation at any one time, and so investigations can sometimes move from being active to being suspended, and he suggested that perhaps instead of suspending an investigation, as happened twice in the case of but they could uh, consider scaling back the investigation so that uh, suspected terrorists and people of interest are still kept under some form of uh, investigation. It must be incredibly difficult to prevent an attack like this from happening again, and in particular at this time when the US has been warned of reprisal attacks following the death of al-Baghdadi, the IS leader an incredibly hard job that the Secret Service and the police have to do here in London and across the UK. Yes, it was a striking part of the coroner's report where he he said boldly and chillingly that uh, it's likely that something like London Bridge would happen again in the future and that the police and the security services would again find themselves dealing with something very similar. It is an incredibly difficult job to be able to prevent these these attacks and the security services and the counter-terrorism police have lots of active investigations and do bring plots to an end before they get to fruition. But the, the coroner in this report made um, some suggestions at how they could perhaps work better together, better cooperation and communication to try and ensure that uh, something like this doesn't happen again. But unfortunately, it's it's a reality for Londoners and for other cities around the world that uh, Islamic terrorism particularly is a threat that we all have to be vigilant about, and the police and the security services in particular. Now. England go for glory in the Rugby World Cup against South Africa in Japan. It's been an incredible tournament for the team, which has battled the mighty All Blacks and even the threat of a typhoon to make the final and the standard's been there for every day of it. From our audio news team, Ross Powell takes a look back at England's journey. After months of build-up and years of preparation, England have reached the 2019 Rugby World Cup final. They'll face South Africa in Yokohama. Thousands of England fans have travelled and millions more will be watching at home. Head coach Eddie Jones is quietly confident. We've had four years to prepare for this game. We've got good tactical clarity about how we want to play, we're fit, we're enjoying the tournament. The only sadness is the tournament's going to end. 
England captain Owen Farrell is also keeping a lid on the nerves. We need to build up as we had done every other week. As Eddie said, we're, we're nice and calm and relaxed at the minute. We've done all the preparation in terms of, in terms of on-field on stuff. We'll make sure the mental side of it builds up from now. England go into the final having not lost a single match at the tournament, having achieved stunning victories over Australia and New Zealand in the knockout stages. The Evening Standards rugby correspondent Will McPherson has been following the tournaments in Japan and thinks England are peaking at just the right time. They pulled off an absolutely sensational performance against the All Blacks in the semi-final. One of their greatest performances, uh, one of the greatest performances in English rugby history. And by beating the All Blacks, it was two-time. Well, they've won the last two World Cups, and they're this sort of just great dynasty and of a team but by, by, be, by beating them and not just beating them beating them in serious style England you know they, they became the outright favourites Well to win their first World Cup since 2003 England will need to get past a tough and physical opponent in South Africa but our correspondent doesn't think the Springboks have anything in their locker that England can't cope with South Africa are a good side um, they're quite functional they're heavy they're big and they, they're bruising but they're not they, 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 they beat Wales in the semi-final without showing any of the sort of form that England did. There's a lot of expectation that definitely that win over the All Blacks shifted things from, from hope to expectation among England fans. Uh, and there's, a, there's many reasons for optimism. Well, England's 2019 campaign is a far cry from the disaster of the 2015 World Cup, where England crashed out in the group stage. Our reporter thinks the appointment of Eddie Jones as head coach after that tournament marked a turning point for English rugby. He'd just done an absolutely superb job as coach of Japan. Um, and with the knowledge that Japan was hosting uh, the next World Cup, this one, that was a smart appointment. He, he certainly ruffled a few feathers. He's, he's, he can be an awkward man to deal with for some people. He's very straight talking, but he's been around the block. Um, and he's done, you know, he's achieved everything in the game. He, he was the Australian coach in 2003 when England beat them in the final. He was... Uh, so he was involved in the South Africa setup when they won the World Cup in 2007, and he, he took Japan to their greatest ever win in uh, 2015 over South Africa. The Evening Standard will have all the latest coverage and reaction to the World Cup final online and in the paper. You can get more from our audio news team with our daily bulletin sent to smart speakers at 7 a.m. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. And that's the leader. We're back at four on Monday.